This week on the Steam Machine Podcast, we're still chasing Chitlin's whiskey and skirt. And welcome back to this week's episode of the Steam Machine Podcast. My name is Dalton, and joining me, as always, are my good buddies. Hey guys, it's the Turtle Bear Man himself, Nate. I'm not putting my mouth on that. It's me, Willie. <laughs> and this week, man, we dove into the early days of Double Fine. Uh, in fact, it was before Double Fine was even a thing. Before Double Fine. But before we get into that, there's been a few things that have come out in the past couple of weeks uh, that I want to talk to you guys about. One would be the Skyrim Anniversary Edition, which I've been putting... Yay, another Skyrim? Yeah, another Skyrim, which I've been putting some time into. Uh, it basically is like a 10-year anniversary thing where they just were like, hey, pay $20, upgrade, we're going to give you some new stuff, and you get all of the Creation Club stuff. So I was like, oh, fuck it. As much as I don't like to admit it, Skyrim's probably my favorite game, even though like I really don't <laughs> like to admit that. Uh, but I've put a lot of time into that game. It's like one of those things where like, what's your favorite movie? Citizen Kane. What's your real favorite movie? Step Brothers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been putting a lot of time in that. They added fishing, um, which Final. the fishing is very simplistic, but I'm still enjoying the shit out of it, like going and finding the fishing holes. Fishing minigames are great. I love them so much. Yeah, it's literally like you find an area where you'll see like a bucket of fish and a rod and stuff and you equip your fishing rod and then you press A and it goes into the little fishing minigame where you cast out and you wait for three pulls and it vibrates and you press A and it pulls it in and you see what you caught, right? It's very simplistic. But, dude, I don't know why I'm spending hours doing this, but like just running around <laughs> and catching carp and catching these bass and stuff and I'm just like, this is fucking fun, man. Is it one of those things where it kind of um, keeps an inventory of all the different kinds of fish you catch and it makes you want to catch multiple different kinds of fish just so you can say that you've caught them? Yeah, it actually gave me a quest that's like uh, the first quest in the line of fishing quests is like catch fair weather fish. So you need to go catch a carp. You need to go catch a brook bass, uh, you know, and these different things. And I'm like, <gasps> yes, collectathon and it's fishing. I'm in. Yep, that's like. How Hades got me too, man, because you were different kinds of fish you could catch in the different layers of hell in Hades. And so I remember I just had to catch them all, even though it was just like, time this right and press the button at the right time and you catch a fish. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's fucking awesome. Um, it did break a lot of mods, a lot. Um, although I will say as of today, which is uh, the 23rd of November, 2021, there is a script extender that has been updated and it's working. The uh, papyrus utility has been updated. Um, everything that you need to basically what about run the sans utility. I'm sure that was upgraded yeah. too. Yeah, the sans utility and they upgraded Ligma, which was nice. Um, 
uh, 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 Dalton, can you? Uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not. Fam- can, can you tell me more about the uh, ligma? Yeah, utility? man, it's a utility where you can ligma nuts. <laughs> Got him. Got him. <laughs> thank you for thank you for that, sir. <laughs> um, but I just I've really been enjoying. It's, it's made me start over. Like Wabajack doesn't work anymore, so I can no longer do my mod packs. So I'm having uh-huh. to rebuild a mod list myself, which I haven't done in a long time, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's like I got sp- I spoiled myself on being able to click a button and it installs 700 mods automatically for me. Where now it's like I'm back in getting the patches, making sure things are in the right load order, yada yada yada. And it's just I don't know. I find enjoyment out of that shit. So when you first got it, did you just open up vanilla Skyrim and play that? Yes, I did, and I still have a save file for vanilla if I ever wanted to get rid of my mods and just play vanilla. Um, how do you feel like as somebody that never plays vanilla going back and playing a little vanilla Skyrim? It it's not a ton different because I don't use a lot of things that really like change a lot of stuff. Um, not being able to jump while sprinting was interesting because I'm so used to being able to jump while sprint just because of a mod that I have that adds that. Um, and then the combat was a little more uh, clunky, I would suppose is the word. But other than that, there wasn't too much. Like I missed my museum. But, like, there was just, there was enough added stuff with the Creation Club content that I didn't own before that there was still a bunch of new stuff for me to find, you know? And yeah. uh, and in the beginning, and even still now, like, I added the museum, it works, and stuff, and that's cool. But I still haven't added any, like, quest mods. All of the mods that I've added are basically uh, texture updates, um, bug fixes, and adding... I mean, there's some, like, quest-esque stuff that adds some stuff to the museum, but they're just displays... So it's like just more items in the world. Uh, I'm going to wait a while to start fucking with quest mods until the script extender is not in beta anymore because <laughs> I don't want to break my game that's running very smoothly right now. <laughs> yeah. Very smooth. Totally understand that feeling. So uh, I'll, I'll you know keep you posted on that and such because uh, you know, I'm always playing Skyrim. So I'll always have things to say about it, I'm sure, until the day Elder Scrolls 6 comes out and I'm finally done with Skyrim. <laughs> um. One other thing that was in the news that I'd like to touch on is um, the Grand Theft Auto Definitive Editions, my good sirs. Uh, yeah. What in the fuck happened? Like, they somehow took these games that I already own the originals of and have texture and like graphical mods and stuff that looked better than what they fucking released. And isn't that kind of the way, though, that usually happens? (laughs) Things that get modded are usually done better by the professional modders than by the companies that originally developed them. I mean, there's a certain amount of love and admiration that went from, you know, the mods that, you know, created these mods over the course of these many, many years. And then the company is just like taking, like, if I remember right, the remastered version is actually based on the mobile port that was created a couple years back. And so that's also one of the reasons things are a little wacky is it has like a lot of code that already was broken when they made the uh, mobile port. And it's just like, I mean, the main thing that really shocks me is how badly nearly upscaled everything is. Like there's like uh, a restaurant called like, you know, it's called it's some dumb bullshit pun about nuts and donuts or whatever. And there's like a, a nut, like a little hexagonal uh piece of metal and it upscaled it into the same shape as the donut because that's how naively they let all the upscaling be done yeah and some of the characters arms looking like spaghetti noodles and was it you really that that has a seven and a nine at the same time on it yeah was it you really that sent the video 
of where like if you wiggle your car yeah. back and forth, it actually your car actually keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, that, that is such an insane oversight because of how much like people tend to drive in Grand Theft Auto and weave. So like when they were yeah. if they did any testing at all, how did they not weave quickly back and forth and notice that the car was just exponentially growing in size? I don't know. The, the whole thing is hilariously busted. Like, it reminds me of, like, launch glitches for Cyberpunk. Like, that's the same level of, like, weirdly broken it is. Has Rockstar like, said anything about patching it or anything? Uh, I think so. I know that they, they had taken off the original versions off the store and just put up the mm-hmm. definitive edition. Now, they had pulled the definitive edition, fixed some stuff, um which I'll touch on in a second, and they put it back up for sale, but they have also put the originals back up for sale. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, the problem, they pulled it because they had left the files in there. So, a lot of the music isn't oh, in there anymore yeah. that they don't have the license to. But the actual music data was still in there. Still they just in there. the ability for the code to play yeah. it. So, yeah. basically, they left it where a modder could go in, do one button click or two, and all that music would be restored. So... They had to pull it and then remove all of that. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, how did y'all not realize that modders would immediately go in there and turn that music back on? Because we want to hear straight out of Compton, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> right, th- data mining is not new. It's not like you haven't had over a decade to deal with the fact that this is how digitally distributed games are reacted to today. Yeah, you know? I mean, even going all the way back to when Sierra released, I think it was Outpost. or There was some game that they released that just wasn't finished. You got to a point in the game where you couldn't complete it. And people who bought the game would look through the game files and see that everything was there. They just didn't finish it. And they were like, you were right there. What the fuck? You had everything there to finish it. Why didn't you just finish it? <laughs> but it, it goes back to that meet and deadline shit. You know what I mean? That's why I always respect game companies. And they're like, it'll be done when it's done. Yeah, delay a game. Do not just push out a shitty broken game and then say, oh, we'll fix it two months after you've bought yeah. it. Yeah, it's a bad look always because when you get to release a patch on day one of the game, it's people will yell at you. But then if you delay a game, people yell at you. So the developers are always in this tight spot where they are trying to appease people that are never going to be appeased. And, and I, I think logically the correct thing to do is just do the delay because yeah. it's a lot better yeah. than having to do the day one patch. Uh, and it, at least things are a little different these days. Whereas like back in the day, if we got a glitchy, buggy PS2 game, Dude, that's what it was. It is what it is. There was no patch to fix it, you know? So I think that's part of the problem is that attitude saying, oh, well, we can put out a patch if the game isn't quite where we want it. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I agree with that, too. That day, it, back in that day, you would have to do a complete physical recall if your game, you know, deleted people's entire hard drives or whatever. Now we just go, oh, well, get online and make sure you download 1.01 and it's going to be a huge file or whatever. And it's like, it also assumes a lot about people having always on online that's, you know, uh, capable of high internet speeds, which I don't think is entirely fair for all customers either, you know? Yeah. Especially for single player games. But I think that leads to the point that I think that what early access is trying to be to release a game early access, then people will know to expect to still get glitches and bugs that you can fix later because they're testing the game. Essentially do early access games and then release the full edition. You can charge full price for an early access game. People do it all the time. 
just do it. I guess there's a. It feels like people don't want to do that with games that are a remake or a remaster or whatever. You know, I mean, fair. I can think of uh, a few instances that I've dealt with early access that actually I really enjoyed. Um, one of them being the record of Lodos War Deedlit in the Wonder Labyrinth. Deedlit, yeah, I got that in early access, and now it's out in a full fledged game. And it, dude, it was good in early access. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it, they only improved it after that. Yeah, and I have 30XX. Shoutouts to Usurper Grim for giving me that shit for my birthday. And um, it's early access currently, and it's already super fun and awesome. I'm excited to see what the final product ends up being. So, like, early access is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there have been games that I played that were complete games before they were in permanent full release. I think uh, Dead Cells was a little still early access when we started getting into it. Uh uh, Nuclear Throne, I started playing when it was in alpha. Same with Minecraft. Oh, you- and then um, everybody was obsessed with Valheim there for a minute, and that was early yeah. access. Yeah. Uh, uh, you guys have heard me rave about uh, Jadonia, and that game's still in early access, you know? Uh, and then there's a JRPG that's on our list that I got in early access, and it's just recently come out of it as uh, Edge of Eternity. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's like, it. I, I enjoyed that game in early access, and I haven't played it since it's come out of early access, but I am intrigued to go back and see like what they tweaked and fixed because it was a really pretty game the character models looked a little odd but i think that's just a design choice i'm used to my jrpg characters being a little more not buff is not the word but like filled out like where they didn't look like scrawny a scrawny teenager so it was just (laughs) it was interesting it made me wonder like you remember in san andreas how you could go to the gym and work out and it would reflect how cj looked like you yeah, could get them buff, yeah, yeah. you could get them fat. I would love to see a JRPG game where, like, the more you level up, like your character goes from, say, being a younger kid when you start to, you know, gaining some muscle, getting older, aging as the game goes on. I think that would be like cool. Pokemon. That would be cool. Yeah. Well, wait. You start out as a Bulbasaur and you end up as a Venusaur. Oh, okay, okay. I was, I was gonna say, wait a minute. It, aren't you like <laughs> ten in those games? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You kind of just watch your character evolve. Speaking of Pokemon... Yeah, I do like stuff like that, for sure. Speaking of Pokemon, dude, I played some more Nexamon last night, and I can't wait till that comes up on the show. That's just fun as fuck. Oh, I haven't even touched that debt, dude. Um, because um, Sh- Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl came out, and so I've been playing Pearl for the first time ever. So that's been a pretty fun experience. Yeah, I never played the, uh, the Diamond and Pearl series. I Now, correct me if I'm wrong... They always do like the, they do like diamond, like red and blue, and then they had yellow. Yeah. They had gold and silver, and they had crystal. Uh, Diamond and pearl, was that emerald or ruby? Or no, I'm sorry. Emerald and ruby was another. Was it emerald, ruby, I'm and sorry, sapphire? I'm, I don't know. I'm bad at the time. Yeah, it's, it's something like so. that. Something like that. I just know that like a lot of the ROM hacks that I play are ROM hacks of emerald. Um, so, yeah, there's some time in those days. There's a lot of fucking Pokemon games. <laughs> And they're brilliant that they were like, hey, we're going to release two versions of the same game and they each have slight differences. And if you want all the Pokemon, you got to get both. Yeah, I, mean, I think the marketing was to encourage you to play with your friends. You get one version, your friend to get another. But yeah, you just ended up, well, especially because I had a brother. So you ended up with one of each in the house. Platinum was the one that was the follow-up to Pearl and Diamond. Ah, okay. okay. Then I will say real quick, that my my favorite ROM hack that I have ever played was called Pokemon Light Platinum. And it's fucking fire. Like, if you ever want to play nice. a Pokemon game that's just not done by the Pokemon company, but really fucking good, I recommend Pokemon Light Platinum. 
And uh, Nate, I know you're into the Nuzlocke stuff, or you were looking into the the Nuzlocke type runs. Um, there are a <laughs> series of ROM hacks called Dark Rising, Pokemon Dark Rising. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember. I think they might have a Nuzlocke mode, but they're like quote unquote the Dark Souls of Pokemon. Apparently, they're super <laughs> fucking hard. So that might be yeah. something that Pro- I'm probably not at that level, but <laughs> I do plan on doing a uh, Pokemon Nuzlocke of Red at some point on my channel. So yeah, that'll be a good time. Oh, yeah. Hey, speaking of your channel, haven't you uh, started speedrunning again? Yeah, so like I did pick up another speedrun game this week, um, and so I've been getting kind of burnt out a little bit on Predator. Been running it to the ground. I've got my time within three seconds of second place at this point, and just need a break from it because it does get tiring. I've done several hundred runs of that game at this point. That's a lot of big modes, huh? It's a lot of big modes. The biggest of modes. (laughs) Big mode, big mood, baby. So I was thinking, like, I need to do something to break this up. I need a speed run that I don't have to take too seriously that'll be fun for me. And so what's one of my favorite games that we've played for the show this year? I feel like we did a lot... Yeah, you love the shit out of Blair Witch. We couldn't stop you playing Blair Witch. <laughs> yeah, so I'm running Blair Witch for the NES. No. <laughs> classic, <laughs> classic. It's like it's like Friday the 13th, but it's even harder. I'm going to guess it has something to do with gills and water. <laughs> yeah, so because I love Ultimate Fishing Simulator so much, and it makes me think of a game that I loved as a kid growing up, too, which was another fishing game on the NES called the Blue Marlin. So Yeah, we rented this one a few times, but I don't think we ever owned it growing up. Not until about teenage years, I don't think, because I think we found one at, like, Funko Land or something at one point. Or maybe that was when we had the PC that had the emulator that I played it a lot. I don't remember. Yeah, I, think, I think it was emulator. I don't think we owned a copy. Yeah, I don't remember when I picked up the copy I have now, though, but I remember loving that game as a kid. And so I decided to pick it up. Like, the whole run is so heavily RNG-based because you don't know what size fish you're going to hook. You don't know how long it's going to take to get the fish to spawn and all that fun stuff. But decided just to do it as fun. And it was like, I'm not going to take the speed run seriously. So I started running them on stream on Monday. I think it was Monday and did like nine runs and I got a pretty good time <laughs> in all honesty. Like the time I got is good enough for sixth place in the world for that game. Yeah. So I submitted that. But well, one thing top 10 runner in more than one game. Yeah, for real. But the one thing I didn't realize was there was only one mod for speedrun.com for this game. <laughs> yeah. And it's not a guy who has... He, it's a busy boy. It's a very busy boy. It's a person. very busy boy. And also someone that super intimidates me because of his maximum like prowess and amazing speed runs. Because it's NES Cardinality, who is the world record holder for Dragon Warrior 1, 2, 3, and Final Fantasy. Oh, is that the dude that we watched that one night? The guy we got to get oh, no shit. that one night? Yeah. Oh, no. He's the moderator for Blue Marlin. Oh, that's fucking rad. I didn't realize so that. So that dude who is a legend is about to watch my garbage speed run at some point so I can verify my run. I love it. I love it. Dude. That's, that's fucking Been cool. a big fan of NES Cardinality since I saw him do the uh, Dragon Quest 1 uh, at Angry, or Angry <laughs> at Awesome Games Done Quick, where it was like, it, he played with RNG manipulation stats, but it wasn't a TAS. He was just, he had it so well memorized and timed out and buffer shredded that it was like watching a tool assisted speed run in real time entered by a real human. It was so yeah, crazy. The dude is insane. An absolute legend. <coughs> Absolutely. Yeah, when, when we watched him 
was it the first Final Fantasy that we watched him do? Yeah, dude, the shit that he was describing, where he's like, "All right, I'm gonna take four steps here, and then a, a bot's gonna, or a battle's gonna start. I'm gonna let it attack me two times, and then I'll be able to hit crit. All right." And it's, I'm like, "How the fuck do you know that?" How he has all this it? RNG table shit memorized. It's so crazy. Like, that's what the Dragon Quest run looked like, too. But the Final Fantasy is a way more complicated game than Dragon Quest 1. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Ultimate Fishing Simulator, though, unless, did you have more you wanted to talk about with your speedrunning? No, that's about it. I was just pumped about that good run I got on it. Like, 12 minutes and 53 seconds, sixth place. So, I'm excited for him to finally get that up there. But, yeah, that's all I had for it. <laughs> um. So, I was going to take some Christmas money or the money I make between now and Christmas and I was going to get you guys the Hunter Call of the Wild because of how much we enjoyed playing Ultimate Fishing Simulator together. I was like, well, maybe we give Hunting Simulator a try and see what's up with it, right? So, I had that planned out in my head for like a month and a half, two months now, or probably since the fishing show, however long ago that was. Uh, so, next week on Epic, one of the free games is the Hunter Call of the Wild. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, hell yeah, all right. Well, then uh, that's, that'll save me a little cash and uh, maybe I'll just snag you guys some DLCs or something for Christmas if you uh, if you enjoy <laughs> it. Hey, I'd appreciate that. You got me that Japan DLC and the Greenland and Amazon DLC for Fishing Simulator. I really enjoyed those spots. So oh, yeah. I'm sure you'll be able to find the fun places to do the hunting. Does this game have, so does it have like bow hunting, yeah. gun hunt, like what all bow does it hunting do? and gun hunting. Um, there are different like tiers of animal, you know what I mean? So you'll see like rat, rabbits and foxes and, and then you'll see deer and then I got to get the moose. Some There are moose, I believe. Um, okay. There are certain. Now, there are some DLC that I don't own yet, but one of them I own is the Sahara and you can go you can go lion hunting and uh, okay. you better be a good fucking shot. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's really cool. Um They've set up some new thing now when you like, I loaded the game up last night to check it out. When you log in, you like set up an account with the game creator or whatever, and then you can add friends within that so we could add each other and go into a multiplayer room. Um, nice. It's pretty sim though. Like you don't move very fast. You have a sound meter when you're walking. So if you're making too much noise, you, know, you don't want to make too much noise when you're getting close to the animals. Um, you can find a pile of poop and click track and it'll kind of tell you the direction the animal was going. So you can kind of follow their trail. Uh, you got to worry about like your scent blowing in the wind and shit. Like it, it's really it's a it's a cool game. There's a lot to and it's fucking gorgeous. Like I've sent some screenshots to you guys where it's like that game is fucking pretty. Yeah, it looked nice. I mentioned this on the fishing episode. I'm, I'm not much of an outdoorsman myself. I'm very much an indoor kid, but I really enjoyed that game. So I'm, I'll definitely give this one another shot. Yeah, and that's always kind of been my thing. Like I like to go fishing. Uh, I've been hunting like one or two times in my life, and. I, you know, I would rather sh like hunt and shoot things in a video game and then in real life just appreciate them and look at them through binoculars, you know? Yeah. I feel that. But uh, but still, like when you're playing the hunting game and you nail a deer that's like, you know, a nine point or whatever, you're like, yeah, bitch, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, one other thing I wanted to bring up about that and then we can move on was that also it's got like side quests and stuff. So like you'll be playing on a, a reserve but you're also like helping upkeep the reserve. So there might be like an outpost building that needs repainting. So you go quote unquote paint it and, uh, or, you know, you go pick up trash or like say you need to go gather dinner for tonight. So they'll be like, we need you to go bag us an axis deer. So then you have to go find the animal that they want and nail it. So there's like missions and stuff too. And it, 
getting flashbacks to Battleship Brigade now. <laughs> oh, God. No, not quite. Uh, but yeah. It, Don't get to do the cooking no, puzzles. No cooking That's puzzles. <laughs> Yay. But uh, there's like a level up system in it, too. Where, so it's kind of like RPG mechanics as far as like uh, skills to make your shooting better. Uh, right, I like that in Fishing Simulator. Yeah. So, yeah. so it, it should be a good time. Uh, it was one other thing that I wanted to bring up before we get into the game of the week, and that was I found out that there's a there's a server in Minecraft called the Uncensored Library. Have y'all ever heard of it? That does not sound like a good Christian Minecraft server. Uh, it probably wouldn't be considered good Christian, but so it's a place in Minecraft where they have sections for each country that has censored news and media. So, like, if you're from China, you could log on to Minecraft and it's, like, illegal for you to look at stuff that you're not supposed to, right? But you can go into this Minecraft server and there's a section on China. And you go in there and you can click these things and literally read these news articles and stuff that are censored in your country that say that the government's trying to keep you from knowing about and things like that. Huh. That's really interesting. That's actually really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And there's, like, there's like one for China, uh, Russia, Mexico. Like, there's a, there's a bunch of them. And I just thought that, that was super cool. You know, uh, kudos to the people who upkeep that. And apparently the library itself is impressive looking and it's huge, which doesn't surprise me. People do some amazing shit in Minecraft. Yeah, Minecrafters are wild. <laughs> no kidding. I remember my, my niece sent me this little video. She was like one time she was like, I was playing Minecraft and I made this. Check it out. So in the beginning of the video, you're looking at the structure and it just looks like a big pile of yellow with some red. Right. And I'm like, all right. But then her character like goes up into the sky and she flies super far away from it and then turns around and she made like a 50 fucking story Pikachu. <laughs> That's awesome. And it looked perfect. And I'm like, how the fuck? Kids. <laughs> That's wild. That's awesome. Love it. Yeah, I, need, I need to check more into Minecraft. I think Zal bought it for me and I've played it a couple times, but I think they're waiting. I was waiting until they do that. Like, I think it's a server reset or something before I really dive in there. Yeah, Zal wasn't planning to restart his server when the uh, next major upgrade, like the next major update for Minecraft comes out. And then, like, I think they have, they've put betas out a million times, but I don't think they've put out the one that they're waiting on yet. Gotcha. Well, uh, gentlemen, this week we touched on a, a classic in, in the sense mm-hmm. of uh, this was an early PC game that earned some pretty good notoriety back in the day. We played Full Throttle and we played the remastered version. And I would like to start you off with some O-dubs, the obligatory Wikipedia bullshit. Now, Full Throttle is a single-player video game in which the player controls the actions of the player character from a third-person perspective using a point-and-click interface. Players can move the player character to any place on the scene, uh, interact with objects that are highlighted by the cursor, or leave scenes via exits, uh, either on by foot or the, on the character's motorbike. Um... As with other LucasArts graphic adventure games, the area dialogue plays a very heavy part in the game, presenting story elements and information necessary to advance. Um, following on from LucasArts' previous graphical adventure, Sam and Max Hit the Road, which came out in 1993, which had introduced a new inventory and interaction system to replace those of their pri- prior games, Full Throttle continued to refine on the changes introduced. Um, Objects or characters in which Ben can interact with are indicated by a red square appearing around the cursor's crosshair, which is placed over the object. So that's basically the first time that they give you like visual cues in what you're going to click. Uh, other than that, man, the plot—it's uh, your your play is Ben. I, I think his last name is Throttle. I think his name is Ben Throttle. 
And that's okay. that's the most fucking 90s thing. It's like, <laughs> full throttle. Yes, my name is Ben Throttle. Ben Throttle. I don't think they ever actually used the last name Ben Throttle in the game, because when I saw the name Ben Throttle in the... Uh, Oh, shit, the concept art at the end of the game, I laughed my ass off. <laughs> uh, ben Throttle for Smash, y'all. Not for real, though. That, yeah, right. Or uh, what's the other one? Brawl Out, <laughs> I think. Was that the, the Kmart Smash Bros? There's a lot of Kmart Smash Bros right now, dude. Warner Brothers has one coming out called Metaversus or uh, Multiversus. It has like Pickle Rick and Shaggy from Scooby-Doo and Arya Stark from Game of Thrones. <laughs> Like, there's going to be a lot of characters. It's really and, weird. Yeah, yeah that yeah. sounds like so. I would play that game just to beat up on Pickle Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. Good man. He has like Finn the Human and Jake the Dog, too, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of those. Um, shit, who else? That's so that wild. Uh, a few of the characters from Steven Universe. I think Steven Garnet and like one of the other gems. Amethyst. Was it Amethyst? It might have been Amethyst. I, I'm not a big expert on Steven Universe. I had a friend of mine who really enjoyed that show a lot. It seems like a really cool show. I just, I haven't personally got into it, but like, it seems like a really cool show. Like a lot of positive, uh, positive messages and stuff yeah, in it. For sure. Um, so yeah. Okay. So you play as Ben Throttle and like the gist of it is there's, uh, so this isn't like post-apocalyptic, but it's like an alternate universe almost like. I didn't get that it wasn't post-apocalyptic until I read the Wikipedia about it, because it's, like, near future, but it's, like, everything is already really goofed up. Like, I think it's supposed to be, like, modern-day Detroit, like, today, like, 2021 from there, 1995. <laughs> it wasn't called Detroit, but it was a place that was built around a, uh, the last, the last, uh... American motor uh, manufacturer, basically. Corley Motors or something. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. Malcolm Corley. Corley, that's it. Corley, yes. But and now that you say that, that makes a lot of sense. The uh, the, the the story ends up coming down to uh, Mr. Corley, Malcolm Corley, uh, gets killed, and Ben gets blamed for it, and you kind of have to work your way from there. Um, the bad guy in this game, Mr. Ripburger, mm-hmm. had a a very uh, recognizable voice, like a very one. I'm I'm very thrilled with the voice acting in this game. I think one of the first positives I have to give this game: the audio, top to bottom, had some really good stuff in it. But the fact that they went with a full professional voice acting cast was great, and the fact that they pulled Mark Hamill in for not the Joker Mark Hamill, but like a chill villain Mark Hamill. I liked that. I liked that a lot. As soon as yeah. as soon as I heard his voice. I went to Google and was like, who does Rip Burger? And it came up Mark Hamill. I'm like, God damn it. I fucking knew it. <laughs> it's like, I, yeah. One of the sidekicks is uh, Maurice LaMarche who plays the brain. And boy, when you hear him, he, he's just the, he's doing that same Orson Welles light voice. Yeah. The voice acting is definitely the highlight of this game for me. Like, I think that's hands down. The best part of the game was the voice acting cast. They did some great casting decisions. I don't think you met this character, but the uh, second in charge of the Vultures was played by the same person who does Agnes Skinner in The Simpsons. Oh, nice. That was a really nice one. I think a character named Susie. One of the uh, one of the characters, and gosh, I can't remember which character it is now. It might be the same character you're talking about. Did the mom voice in Rugrats from Phil and Lil's mom? Yeah. 
Yeah, same yeah, lady. That's, that's yeah, that's also. Yeah, yeah. I, I, when I heard her, that's what triggered in my head was Rugrats. I was like, oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, um, yeah. Hire professional voice actors, people who made the Mario movie. <laughs> okay, let's let's sidebar there for a second. Mario movie. Um, oh boy, I saw a thing where Chris Pratt's not gonna do the like iconic Mario style voice, and that Mario has a, a new accent. And I'm like, well, he couldn't have done it. It's Chris Pratt. Ah, I know, man, but they could have like modulated it or something. To- or they could have just hired the original. Charles I, I, do, <laughs> I do think that it would sound a little bit annoying to have the here we go voice do entire monologues. So I get why they would want to have like a regular voice guy, but. I think they had to know Chris Pratt was a backlashy choice, too. I hope right? he goes like, full Captain Lou Albano. <laughs> I feel like here, here's, here's my fantasy casting. You know how you get everything Chris Pratt would give you, none of the backlash, and only pay about twice as much? Ryan Reynolds, done. Ryan Reynolds can't do every voice movie. I'm sorry. He can't be Detective Pikachu. He can't be Pikachu and Mario. <laughs> I'm just saying, no no one would be mad if you picked Ryan Reynolds. No, but here's the thing. They nailed the rest of the cast. The rest of the cast is yeah, great. Yeah, there's some ridiculous like people. Jack Black. Jack Black is Bowser. Beautiful. Seth Rogen is Donkey Seth Kong. Seth Rogen is Donkey yes, Kong. That, yeah, that's like, yes. what else do you need? But like, Mario, why did you do this? And Charlie Day is Luigi. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Speaking of Ryan Reynolds, real quick, I saw a thing the other day was a video of Ryan Reynolds and he was sitting on a couch and he was like, ha, all right, time to read this script. And he picks up the script and he looks at it and it's for Green Lantern, right? (laughs) And he goes to open it and all of a sudden he gets shot and then the camera pans over and there's Deadpool Deadpool. standing there and he's like, you're welcome. And just leave. <laughs> that was the end of it. And I was like, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> I love that. I think that was a like deleted or bonus scene from Deadpool 2 or something. I, just, I love that he can, like Ryan Reynolds just took Deadpool and ran with it and really embraced that character. Like, I can't think of anybody else that could have done Deadpool. You know what I'm saying? Other than him now. Well, God knows all the people that dress up as him at uh, cons and stuff should not be playing the character. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... I'm sorry, Deadpool. It's it's not your fault, Deadpool, that you're played. It's not your fault, Ryan Reynolds, that your character's played. But my God, people will run your shit into the ground, and I feel so bad for you. Know you. Who doesn't get enough representation in the con scene that I've noticed, at least that I've seen, is Deathstroke. Like Deathstroke, the Terminator. Fan. I mean, he's Deadpool esque, but way more serious. And like, I think he looks cooler. Like as far as his. Well, wasn't Deadpool originally designed to kind of yes. parody his style? Like they even have similar names. It's like Slade Wilson versus Wade yep. Wilson, right? And that's why I just think, it, I don't know, I'd like to see more Deathstroke. Hashtag more Deathstroke. I mean, he got to be the main villain from the original Teen Titans cartoon. Yeah. And that was a fire cartoon, so I'll give you that. That was a fire cartoon! I'll give you that. I don't, yeah. Um, it, so I guess let's get back to full throttle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are yeah, really, yeah. really ADHD today, and I, you know I make no apologies. It's fine. It's fine. I'm diagnosed. I, I'm not saying it is a slur or a goof. I'm saying... My attention is very split. Oh yeah, today. no, don't worry. There's a lot of. Going I have diagnosed on. ADHD too. It's just pot helps. <laughs> I don't. I just like to talk about a bunch of random things. Yeah, and yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of like you know the flow. The flow of conversation. Let it go where it takes you. Um, let it go. So, 
uh, let's go ahead and get the get the monkey out of the bridge. We we all three have very differing opinions about this game. I think. Um, whereas, like, we have like a good, we have a bad, and we have a fair to midland. I feel like, and uh, I'll go. I would go so far as to say we have a good, bad, and ugly. <laughs> a good, bad, and ugly. Yeah, we could do. We could say that. Um, I I enjoyed this game for what it was. Um, I did play it a little differently. Uh, I played it with the commentary on from the devs and stuff. So there were certain things like certain st- story aspects that were spoiled for me, like listening to those. But it didn't really, I don't know, it didn't bug me because it was like cool to hear Tim Schafer and these guys talk about like how this shit came to be. You know what I mean? And uh, I think it was the the lock puzzle uh, where you had ah. to put the lock on the door and then climb up the chain into the junkyard. I believe that that was the puzzle that they said that was the first puzzle they designed in the game. And I was like, oh, well, that's a cool little tidbit. And that's one of the ones I was able to figure out on my own. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's, okay, let's talk about let's talk about the puzzles. Because we don't necessarily have to you know, go story beat by beat. But, like, some of the puzzles were not that hard at all. Some of them were fucking obtuse. And I think that that is a, that is a thing that is just wrong with some of the uh, early adventure games from 80s, 90s. Yeah. happening i don't know i was trying to say nate you probably have something to say about this one so i was trying to oh, say hey you go i next. thought like you held your finger up and then I, you were just like pointing down like yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh, what a- no i just no oh, i was trying to say i, I don't have this one someone has oh, this one. okay so if we're going to talk about the puzzles and why they're so bad i'll give you that I'll give you that part of it. So, I only played, like, the first hour-ish of the game. Like, basically what I would think of as the first chapter of the game is what I got through, which is where you're in, like, the starting area. You've just been knocked out and woken up at the mechanic shop, and you have to go around finding all these parts and doing all these things for her. So, first off... This is one of the biggest cons of the just basic point-and-click adventure game bullshit. But the first part that I really got annoyed with it to an infuriating extent was in the junkyard. So in the junkyard, you have to find this pile of bike parts to take back for the mechanic to fix your bike. But there's a junkyard dog that chases you off every time. It's like, okay, cool. I found the meat and I should be able to get past with that. So I keep like clicking on the meat and then clicking on the dog. Then the dog chases me off. I'm like, what the hell? I have the meat. Eventually, I figure out that you put the meat in the car next to the dog. I'm like, and then the dog. But only that car. Only that car. Because if you try to put it in one of the cars on the page that you're in originally, guy goes, I put meat in the car. Dog grabs meat. I go for car part. Dog kills me. Like, it it tells you, like, basically, don't put the meat in the car yeah. very early on. Yeah. I-, I lucked out. And in that area, when I was going, I went to go click on the dog with the meat and missed him and clicked on a car and it put the meat in the car. So I completely lucked out on that puzzle. So I can understand that that would. But that's only a part of the puzzle. (laughs) Yeah. So you get the meat in the car and you're like, okay, cool. Now I can walk past and get to the next area. Nope. The dog chases you off again. So we're like, okay. So you walk back in there. I walked into this room like 17 times trying to figure out what to do. I had to look up a guide for this part. So what you end up doing is you walk into that room, you walk back out, 
and then you have to stand still and wait for the camera to pan up to a crane and then you can go inside the crane. How was I supposed to know I had to wait there for the camera to pan up so I could see the crane? Yeah. Who would think to do that? You know, that's actually not how I found it. Um, I went back to the wall where you first come in and was standing up there looking around like, all right, so this dog's gotten me like three or four times. Like, how the fuck am I supposed to get to that? And I started clicking around on the wall and I clicked to the right and he walked and he continued walking to the right and it went to another screen and I was like, what the fuck? And then I found my way up to the crane. But then I was like, how the fuck are you supposed to find that? <laughs> I have no idea. I didn't. I, I, I had to look yeah. it up. It was garbage and I hated it. Another part of the game that, and then you have to use the crane to lift the dog off the ground and then you can finally go get your part. Yeah. But whatever. Another part that really frustrated me. There's two more parts that really frustrated me. The second one was at the gas tower where you set off the alarm by touching it. And then what you're supposed to do is go hide in the shadows in the back. But it's not listed as an interactive element. Because like if you mouse over something and you can do something with it, it tells you. Yep. So, I, I didn't know that I had to go hide there for the longest time. Because there's nothing indicating that that's a thing you can interact with. It doesn't become an interactive element until you've already triggered the cops. Yeah. And so, and then, then it shows up on the list of objects. Which is, uh, it's not good. It's, Why would you have an option that shows you the list of objects if uh, some of them don't become interactive until, like, a link? I don't know, like, I feel like the game, it, you shouldn't have that list of things you can mess with if it's not a complete list. Yeah, very infuriating. And then finally, the last area that I really got frustrated with as well was the trailer. So you go into the trailer and you can interact with a bunch of stuff inside and find like the meat was in the fridge that you needed to mess with the dog. Cool. You can find, is that where you find the lock pick? I don't remember. Probably. Yes, it is. So you also find the lock pick there that you use to break into the gas tank tower. But there's also another element you have to interact with. that's not listed as an interactive element. You have to stand on a very specific square of the floor in the trailer and it takes you into the basement. So you can find the welding torch for the mechanic. What? Yeah. So I, I, okay. So when I, when I did that area for them in that little mechanic, like trailer section, I, uh, I went in there and I like, I knocked on the door and the guy came up and talked to me, you know, and he told, basically told me to fuck off and he left and I heard him go back downstairs. Well, at that point I said, well, I'm going to try to kick the door in. So I hit kick and I kicked the door in and I went inside and he wasn't in there or anything. So like I'm messing around in there. I found the meat and I found some other stuff and uh, there was a dresser with a big lock on it and it was like I'm not putting my mouth on that alright so then he was like I clicked it you know, and he's like yeah I'm not I can't pick that lock you know that, that locks it, there's you know he can't do anything with it so I, I messed around some more I go back out and at this point I'm like what the fuck am I supposed to do and then it clicked with me in my head oh when that dude peers through the hole when you knock on the door I wonder if you can kick the door at that moment and knock him out Sure. That's the first thing I did. So, like, I didn't have that interaction inside the trailer while he was in there. It took me a long time to figure out that I had to knock the guy out. Like, I actually had to look that way. See, I knocked him out, like, right away. Yeah, well, so, so I... So, you never... You didn't go into the trailer first. You didn't see that there was, like, a section where the elevator was no. that was, uh, like, a disguise. Okay, yeah. Okay. And why would you have? 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that's three instances in the first section of the game that I thought were complete and utter garbage that made me furious with this game. Yeah. The the puzzles are definitely more obtuse back in the day, and they're, they're the older you get, the worse they are. You know, as far as adventure games go, that's that's one thing that like over time got a lot better, in my opinion, are the complexity and like just uh, cues, like little cues and things like that to help you out. I felt like this game too, like it kind of, if you do something that's almost the right, it's like a reverse red herring. You do something that's almost the right thing, but not quite. The game basically is like, that isn't going to work. You really fucked this one up, idiot. You goddamn more. Like, you know, trying to put the, the, the stake in a different car other than the cars on the right side. It just told me, okay, so putting the stake in the car isn't the solution. And it turned out putting the stake in the car was a solution. Yeah. It just had to be a car on the right side of the screen, not the left side. Um, like that's it's ridiculous. One of one of my favorite puzzles in the game was later on, uh, and Nate, this one probably would have pissed you off too. Um, except was it the minefield puzzle? Because I the minefield puzzle was the highlight <laughs> yeah, of the game. It was me. the minefield puzzle. So when you go when you go and okay, talk to Horace, yeah. and it so Nate, I know you didn't get there, so I'll kind of describe you to it. It's this old guy. He's working at a like a. Uh, merch yeah, shop in a a little shirt. like stand where he's selling merch and he's got on the the hat with the two drinks and the straws that are coming down to his mouth and you can ask him what's in the hat and he's like don't know it came with him and he takes a big old <laughs> drink of it and he goes sure packs a punch though <laughs> so you have two choices here because what you have to do is steal this rabbit because there's a minefield that you have to go across i, I know that sounds like it doesn't correlate, but it does. Um, so you steal this rabbit, but you have to wait for him to turn around. So you have two choices. You can either talk to him and ask him about the shirts behind him and he'll turn his back and then you can grab the rabbit. Or like you said, with the crane, you can just stand there and listen to him give his entire spiel for like two minutes and then he'll shut up and he'll turn around and start checking some other stuff and you can steal the rabbit. There's no real cue to tell you that that's going to happen. You know what I mean? It's kind of like one of those wait around and see things. So here's the other thing is those wait around and see things. There were just enough timing based puzzles that I started to think timing based puzzles were a main element of the game. And so when you got to the truck driver Emmett and he's playing Mumbledy Peg and he stabs himself every so often, I kept thinking that that was a trigger for an event in the game. So I was waiting to time stuff out until he would stab himself with a knife. That never is a trigger. Fun fact. Game. Did you get to play the game with him? Uh, no, I, I just ended up getting him the fake So, ID. if you ask him, I got an achievement for it. If you ask him, let me show you how to do that. Let me show you how to do that. Like, over and over and over and over and over. Finally, he'll stab the knife in the middle of the table and go, fine, if it'll just shut you up. And then you can actually play a mini game where you click and do the knife between the fingers. It's just a, a little I, thing. I, I, I didn't I didn't try it enough times. I, like, I asked him like four or five times. And I'm like, ah, fuck this. Ain't yeah, I... I because he was giving the same response, too. Like, if he had given a different response every time, I probably would have stuck with it. But. I just sat there and pestered him because it was just entertaining me. <laughs> I don't know why. I was like, eventually this guy's going to get mad enough that he's going to say something else and sure shit. But uh, but it, it it wasn't enough times that, like, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is going to, you know, but it was enough that, like, I was still entertaining myself. So it was just a cool little thing to stumble upon. But the minefield... So, yeah, yeah. The the so you've bothered the guy and now you've you stole the bunny. bunny. You then had to take that bunny over to the minefield, let it go, and it's a little battery operated bunny and it starts hopping around and it blows. Well, right at the Valkyries, please. <laughs> and it blows the fuck up. 
and this battery lands next to you. So then you take that battery, go back to Horus where he's got this RC car <clears throat> that if you play with it, it runs out of battery really quickly. So you take the battery from the bunny, stick it in the RC car, and you drive it through these doors, and then Horus has to go chase after it, right? So he goes and he's like, I'll, I'll come get you, buddy. Daddy's coming. And he goes down there to get it. Then you go and you steal the box of 12 bunnies <laughs> from the uh, the stand. Go back to the minefield. Drop the box. All of the bunnies come out at once. So you have to grab all the bunnies except for one. And you let it go and it blows up. You let another one go. It goes a little further and blows up. And you just use the rabbits to make your way across <laughs> the minefield. They, they blow up the mines for you. And I thought that that was a cool ass little puzzle. Yeah, that was really genuinely charming. I I enjoyed that a lot. I think that in general, the third act of the game was by far the best. Now, you you said like you thought of the part you played as chapter one out of three, and I think you're dead exactly right. I think that the second chapter is basically everything until you've ramped the uh, until you've done the ramp, and that part was weird too because uh, that part also added an action game element that was interesting. I I enjoyed that little bit. It almost reminded me of like a simple road rage. I enjoyed it and hated it at the same or time. Road rash. Like, I thought... Sorry. Road rash, yeah. I thought, that, like, it, it was a neat mechanic that broke up the, you know, broke up what was going on in the past. But also, the entire mine road segment lasts way longer than it needs yeah. to. And it sometimes, it's not clear whether what you're doing wrong in the fights is an action game problem, a rhythm game problem, or a puzzle problem. Because <laughs> you need to use certain items on certain dudes to get things to happen. And it lasts like twenty minutes. Oh, and yikes. It, it overstays. Its that problem. sounds frustrating. Yeah. Uh, now, Willie, how long did it take you to steal the ramp? Did Did it take you a few times to remember that you had to uh, undo the ramp at that second screen and use it to chip off some of those dots? So, Nate. No, I, I got it the, sa- the I got second. It the same time. time. It took me four tries before I was finally like, okay, okay, let me try this, and it, it worked. But. So, Nate, in, in the second act, there's these people you come across called Cave Fish, and they were... They're a... They're one of the... There are many motorcycle games yeah. you run into in this act, and uh, I think the only one you run into before was, like, there was a member of the uh, Rot Wheelers that yeah. you fight yeah. at the very beginning of the game. And then Ben yeah. is the leader um, of the Polecats. Polecats, yeah. At this point, you also meet the Vultures and the uh, Cave Fish, and the Cave Fish are... They're loco. They're actually the wackiest gang in the yeah, game. Yeah, they, they don't see outside. They wear these visors because they all dwell in caves, so they all have super sensitive <laughs> eyes, right? So, they wear these visors that they can't really see out of except for uh, these dots that they've set up and kind of like lines going by them. So, when they're on their motorcycles and they're looking, they're looking straight down at the ground and they're following the dots that they have laid out on oh, the roads. Wow. So, in order to steal the ramp, you take the ramp and it's sharp on the end. So, you chip off some of those dots around this corner and then you're able to drive off and the cave fish just sail off the fucking side of the fucking <laughs> the, uh, ravine because they didn't know that there was a turn there anymore. <laughs> yeah, the game gets kind of a body count in the second yeah, act. <laughs> you do start racking up some people. Uh, but the- I was actually kind of surprised about it, but also it wasn't too... Because, I mean, those guys also... You know what? They did kill the cavefish. Did kill someone, but also we wanted to kill that guy too. So. Yeah, that's true. So that was Emmett, the truck driver, who also is the other main character, voiced by Mark Hamill. Yeah, it, yeah he ends up fucking you over. Uh, he helps you. Yeah. He takes you a good distance in his truck and all of that. But he ends up uh, stealing your was it your fuel line? Your fuel yeah, hose and yeah. takes off, line. and 
<laughs> Ben's like, I'm going to kill him. And But we don't have to because the cave fish. Yeah, and that, and that brings to the point where they wreck his fer- fertilizer truck. And- but over when he goes over the bridge, and that's why you need the ramp, because they, they blew it up on the uh, bridge. Yeah. And so the entire puzzle there is you need to recreate a daredevil stunt where a guy had like rigged out his bike in two different ways and then used this ramp to uh, go over this gorge, which is otherwise impassable. And if you look at the sign, it even talks about all the people who have died trying to cross the ramp in other ways. Only this one specific daredevil, this one specific <laughs> configuration had ever made it over without the bridge. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you when you did the fertilizer truck part, uh, when you had to take the wheel... And undo the wheel and push it over to spill the fertilizer. Did you take any of the fertilizer? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I that that actually ended up being really good for the bike. I was bike about to section. say that came in so fucking handy during the bike <laughs> section. Because I think I used that to knock out the person that had the uh, chain, and then the chain ended up being so good for most of the rest of it. Yeah. Um. So, like the overall, basically, what's going on? Like we talked about it earlier, is that uh, Ben gets framed for the killing of Mister Corley, and Really, it is uh, Mr. It's Rip Burger, um, who yeah. is behind it all, and he's trying to take over the company and turn the motorcycle manufacturing company into a company that makes minivans. And Ben's like, "No, that can't happen." Uh, that was more like Duke Nukem, but that was a very <laughs> <laughs> you're interrupting my Oprah. Damn bastards will pay for making minivans. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, and then it comes out that Mo, the girl who helps you fix up her bike and cannot wait to get her hand on Ben's hog. Hey. <laughs> uh, she is the daughter of Malcolm Corley, but the illegitimate daughter, though, which you only find out later. That's why it's been kept. Yeah, uh, Rip Burger makes him cor- convinces Corley to keep it a secret because it was an illegitimate daughter and all of this type of, you know, uh, story building. And the rest of the game is basically just you trying to prove that you didn't kill him. Prove your innocence and prove that Rip Burger actually did it. And that part was way more satisfying than the first part. Yeah. Uh, and, dude, the uh, the camera girl. Yo, I got a scoop for you. I took, Miranda, I took these yeah. pictures here. Yeah, take them. Some dude was killing the other guy. It was wild. She talks like my buddy Lenny, if he was a girl. <laughs> oh, she is very <laughs> The New Yorkiest. And she kind of fucks you over, too, where she gives you that film. Yeah. Or, no, she doesn't give you the film. You end up finding the film later. But, no, no, no. I'm sorry. She does give you the film. But after this, she, you ask her for a ride. And she's like, no, sorry. I don't have any wheels. And then you walk away. And she runs around the corner and jumps in her car and takes off. And Ben's like, so much for not having wheels. I could have used that ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your, your Ben is... 100% Duke Nukem, but I I don't know. <laughs> he, he sounded all like Duke Nukem to me. He's got a pretty deep and low voice. Apparently that guy, by the way, this sucks. This dude died of lung cancer. The guy that did that voice acting never smoked a day in his life. Oh, um, yeah, that's rough. Like, even the, the credits and stuff, like, we're like, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to make sure I get the character, uh, the actor's name right. It was, um, it was kind of song. Um, ben... Oh, uh, yeah. I don't see where it says who's the name of the voice of Ben on it. Roy Conrad. Roy Conrad was the actor name. He, he, I feel like that name sounds familiar to me. Like he was in a movie that I've seen. Oh, he's he's in, in a he was in Patch Adams. He was in Patch Adams, yeah. 
Titan AE also. Um, speaking of the credits really quickly, uh, the credits were hilarious. Did you watch all of them? I actually, I, I made it about a while into the credits and then just, I hit the backspace yeah. button. So if there was an end credit scene afterwards. Okay. I well, I'll it. tell you about it. Cause there was an end credit scene, but it wasn't probably what you're thinking. Um, the credits themselves were hilarious. Uh, there was two dudes who got credits and, and their, their credit was bitched about not being in the credits and they had the two names, which I just thought was fantastic. But if you watch all nice. of the credits, it ends and there's like, you know, the road, the highway sitting there and just one bunny appears and starts hopping. Another bunny appears like 10 more bunnies appear. And then there's just a fucking bunny apocalypse just hopping across the screen. And then I got a, uh, achievement for that for watching the nice. bunny apocalypse finally i'm assuming these bunnies <laughs> the are like opposite. the energizer bunny right yeah they're pretty yeah. energizer but they're gold instead yeah. of pink but they're very similar Absolutely. Energy, yeah um at the end um because i'm like i said we're kind of just skipping around talking about it but in, in the end that final where you the showdown with corley you've you've you know you've shown him what's up you've shown the shareholders at the meeting you mean the showdown against Ripper? Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, the showdown against Ripburger. Um, actually, actually, real quick, before we get to that point, dude, that destruction derby section sucked ass. Yeah, I had to look up every single step you had to do there. <laughs> the ramp thing, I never would. Fun fact, out. though, uh, in this in the remastered version, if there's ever a point that you get to that you can't figure out what to do, I think it was Shift V. You could hit, and it would autoplay uh, anything that you couldn't figure out. So like, uh, I spent well, I spent way too long just like at the very start start of the demolition derby just trying to bang into uh, Moe's car, and it's like no the you know the Marish Lamarche character would just not let you through. Yeah, you had to go up the ramp, fall down, destroy the car, and break that one car, push and then push it. that one other car into the uh, other ramp. Yeah, that part was tedious as hell. Um, it's a it's a bad puzzle. That that's enough. The puzzle design in this game is. There were like there were like four good puzzles out of like twenty puzzles. Yeah, but that that leads to them thinking that Ben and Maureen are dead, so they have the shareholders meeting. You go in there, you prove to all the shareholders that Rip Burger killed Corley because you have the photos developed now, um, and you think it's all well, all's well that ends well, and you guys get on your motorcycle and you and Maureen are riding off into the sunset. But then the big ass truck shows up again. And Corley, or I'm sorry, Ripburger is driving it and he hits you guys. So then some stuff happens and you're on the front of the truck. Yeah. The timing in this puzzle was crucial. You had yeah. to pop the engine compartment where you had hid earlier with Emmett driving you. Um, try to put your uh, wheel, uh, your socket, not a socket wrench, Jesus Christ, your lug nut wrench, like for yeah, tire, tire iron. iron. Thank you. Goddamn, couldn't think of that. Try to put it into the engine. It's not long enough. So then you have to pop the top hood section, which makes Ripburger lean out. Ripburger try to push it down with his cane. Push it down with his cane. You have to grab his cane out of his hand before he pulls it back in. Stick it into the engine to stop it. And and then that's when the vultures show up in like the 747 on wheels with no wings. And they scoop up the truck in there. And anyway, at, at the very end, you're dangling off the end of a cliff. And Cor- uh, Ripburger is hanging on the machine gun of the truck by his shirt. Now, I got an achievement here because I fired the gun before I <laughs> retracted him. And 
Ripburger goes, Ho ho! I think you just killed a seagull! And I got an achievement for, like, killing a seagull or something. <laughs> There's, like... <laughs> um, but then you, you disengage the guns. He drops to his death. And then this part, I failed it so many times in a row that it just auto-played and, and finished it for me at the end. Because I could not figure out, after I dropped him, how to get from that truck to where Maureen was at without the truck falling and Ben dying. You just click, you just leave and click and you click the right and it goes into the inside. And then you have to click the bike. Yeah. So it eventually it took me into the inside because I had just failed trying to get inside so many times. And then I figured out the bike part and I got out and Ben blows out in that big explosion glory. That's from the cover. It's slow motion. And it's so fucking hype and cool. Yeah. That, yeah. that cover photo. And then, uh, yeah, the game kind of doesn't have a happy ending in a way. It has the ending that I think it deserves, but there's no real payoff between Mo and Ben. You know, it's weird for a plot that takes itself this seriously and then it doesn't. I don't know, man. Like nobody really wins per se. Like people are just alive. Well, I mean, Maureen gets to take over Corley Motors, and now she's like, yeah, it goes well for Maureen, but she's also kind of sad because she was like cool with Ben and she wanted to beat him. But he's like, oh, well, she's a stuck up corporate, you know, now and now I've got to go live my life free as the wind. I I didn't get that from it. I got it more like he doesn't put himself on the platform that she's at and it'll do her uh, injustice to be associated with somebody like him. Like she's now a millionaire with a company to run and all that. She can't be associating with the lowly bikers and stuff. And she gets a, I mean, that's what he says, but but she gets the phone call about some parts and she's talking on the phone and she turns to talk to Ben again and he's gone. And then it cuts to Ben just riding off into the sunset on his motorcycle that has like, I don't know, 15 exhaust pipes on it. (laughs) Yeah. All the, all the power ups you got when you were doing the big jump. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, man, I, for what it was, from a game from 1995, like I thought it was, I thought it was good. I feel like there are so many things that could have, if it leaned into different directions more, it would have worked for me a lot better. Like if it was funnier or darker, that would have been cool. Yep. Like if it was, if, if everything you did wrong when you you tried to enter a and like it didn't have a response to it. If it had a response for everything you tried to interact instead of like every time you use a chain, it's just like, I'm saving that chain for mine road. Like, I don't know. What are you thinking? Nate? Yeah. I was going to say like, you know, I've obviously been quiet for most of this last part of the discussion because you're talking about places of the game I haven't played, but the whole time I hear you guys talking, none of the game took a story turn that I'm the least bit surprised about. Like, everything that you guys have said, especially even the ending, down to the ending, that's exactly kind of how I thought that game would have ended if I had played it that far. So, one of the things I thought to myself when I stopped playing this game is, I don't care about the story too much, don't enjoy the puzzles, and I just couldn't see it getting better or more engaging the longer I played it. I know that you guys kind of enjoyed it a little bit, but I think I made the right call for me. Oh, no, yeah, and, and that's what I told yeah. you when you said that, you know, you didn't guarantee you were going to play more. I said, bro, you tried it. That's all I can ask. You know what I mean? You try it, you don't like it. That's perfectly fair, you know? I feel like in the end, I'm really glad the scope of the game was as limited as it was. Because, like, the game took about three hours to play. If it took twice as long, I would have started getting really pissed off at this game. Yeah. But, like, I think it, it, it was a good way to kill an afternoon. But I spent the whole time, like... 
I don't know if I'm the target. Not only do I not think I'm the target audience for this game today in 2021, I don't think I was the target audience in 1995, and I don't think that the target audience in 1995 exists today. Nah. I think this game was just really hamstrung by a lot of the... Uh, by the genre characteristics itself. They had to make a game that was difficult and puzzles and all that and had unintuitive solutions and they got too clever for their own good in a lot of places that they didn't need to. And the places where they did do clever stuff, it was really good. But they could have been cleverer with the writing and stuff. Like, this game was made by the same guy that wrote Brutal Legend and Psychonauts and stuff like that. And I was really expecting a lot more, I guess, cleverness in the writing. And I... I think we got moments where the writing was really yeah. good. Like, again, like, one of the things that really killed me, like, I love the fact that in most adventure games, you get, like, a hit guy option, and every time you use it, you're like, I don't think I should use force on that. Now, the moment you see the first character in the game you can interact with, you're supposed to pull his stupid head down onto the bar and yell at him. That's yeah. cool. I liked that. But it just... But, I, I don't think... I don't think the game pulled off all the stuff it could have. So, and... I, I just feel like that this game, much like how you're, I'm probably going to talk about Baldur's Gate next week. Um, this game was good for its time and it set a lot of standards for people to improve from. You know what I mean? Like this was in the mid where like there was a lot of bangers as far as RPG, not RPGs, Jesus Christ, adventure games coming out in the nineties. Um, which I have a, I have a list pulled up that we're going to talk about here in a minute to wrap up the, the talk on the point and click stuff for the week, but. Yeah, it like do I think I'm the target audience for full throttle? No. No. But like do I see the the history behind it and kind of like its place in gaming history? Like I totally understand like that aspect of it. And I'll, 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 there's there's one there's one little thing I'd like to bitch about too, which was the upscaled graphics. I really feel like the remaster like they gave us that option to switch between the remaster and the non-remaster yeah. graphics. And that was really nice. But I feel like the remastered graphics were not good. Like, the character art in the remaster was fantastic. That shit looked great. Most of the um, actual environments looked like they had just been scaled up using, like, a Super Nintendo emulator upscale filter. It's very similar to what Rockstar did with the GTA remakes. They just smoothed everything out and killed the personality. Yeah. I, uh... I played a lot of this game in the original graphics with the F1 because I prefer the uh, pre-rendered PC look of that era, like especially in the, yeah. the mine road, um, the on the, the sides yeah. and stuff. I just preferred the way it looked in the older version. I thought the Vulture's headquarter looked so much goofier when they like lost that ambiguity that some of those sharp original pixel art had, and they just like scaled it up. It was like it, it looked ridiculous. On the other end, I will say uh, the audio commentary, great. That's a really cool feature. Having the concept art, that's neat. But, like, fuck, man. Oh, 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 and I, I will say, if I didn't say this enough, I, I, when we talked about the audio earlier, I wanted to bring up the music. All the music was licensed from a band called The Gone Jackals. It was a, a San Francisco band that um, they were like a kind of bluesy garage rock band. I thought most of their music was really fitting. The song you referenced earlier, Increased Chances of the Apocalypse, I liked it the first time I heard it. I came back to that shed like six or seven times, and I was fucking sick <laughs> of that song by the time I last seen her, yeah. you know? I can understand that. <laughs> the f opening song of the game, though, I honestly thought that it was Van Halen. 
Yeah. <laughs> I can get that. <laughs> I can get that. Um, so, yeah, if I, I give this game a rating, I know I'm going to give it a way higher rating than both of you guys. Um, because I think that there was room for improvement, but like I said, I respect the history because without this game, we don't get double fine productions and all of those wonderful games that they've put out. Because like between, I think it was this game and Sam and Max Hit the Road were the beginnings of Tim Schafer. So mm. I, I'm going to give this a seven throttles out of, I'm not putting my mouse on that. And I'll go ahead and knock down to the opposite end of the spectrum. Like I said, I, I couldn't get myself past the first section of the game. I beat that and I was just done. There's no way I could see myself continuing forward with it. And I just didn't like it. It's still better than Blair Witch. 3.5 out of 10. I think this was a game that was a pretty good game for someone that existed in 1995. That person isn't me. I don't know if this audience exists anymore. And for myself, I had to say this game was a good way to kill an afternoon. And I can't give it any more than that. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Okay. I just don't have those time, those hours in the afternoon to kill anymore, man. <laughs> I respect what it was trying to do. I think it did some of it fantastically. I think it tried to do a lot of really cool stuff. It got, again, the audio. I have nothing but fantastic feelings about. But gameplay-wise and story-wise, this game just didn't, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't carry me in the way I would like it to. And that was especially while considering it someone who I respect for his writing. Yeah. Um. Apparently, originally, that he wanted to do Full Throttle as like this really trippy, like, acidy type experience and that didn't end up happening but that did that it that it did end up becoming psychonauts hmm. okay so something good eventually came out of this it's just he couldn't sell it to the publishers at the time the, yeah. yeah um so to, to wrap up today's episode gentlemen before we get to uh the the cleanup and the uh the house cleaning i don't know why i called it the cleanup uh i have a list of the 15 best classic point-and-click games according to GamerRant.com, and the descriptions of these are about a paragraph, so it's not too terribly much. Welcome back to GamerRant. We've had some mixed feelings on yep. these before. <laughs> Never know whether GamerRant's going to be good shit or awful. Are these people paired with the ScreenRant.com uh, You know, I'm not sure, but I, that would not surprise me if it was like a sister a sister joint. Okay. So, number 15, King's Quest Six. Okay, okay. I am actually I'm actually interested in the King's Quest series. I, what is... Is Six especially good or bad Six one? is Heir Today, Gone Tomorrow. Like the heir to a throne, so okay, it's like so here, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. Pun. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, all have, they all have pun titles. One of them is called Absinthe Makes the Heart Grow Fonder. Like, they all have great titles like that. Yes. Um, Sierra's King's Quest series is one of the longest running in gaming, with its first entry having now arrived more than four decades ago. Uh, while there have been plenty... Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, think about that. <laughs> yeah, I think it came out in 81. Wow! Yeah, it's fucking wild to think about. Um, Roberta Williams just out there cranking <laughs> shit out before I was even born, apparently. While God, there have been man. plenty of great games to choose from during that time, the pick of the bunch is definitely King's Quest VI, which marks the high points of the series. Released in 1992... Hey, I was released in 1992. Uh, the game... You shouldn't have been. You should have held you back a couple years. Oh, man. Hey, I was I was late. I was late. Uh, so, I was pushed back. You know, my, my release date was postponed. Uh, yeah, but I, I feel like we're still in the early access version of Dalton. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Fucking A. 
Maybe I'll release them. Yeah, because he's so fucking alpha. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Uh, the game, 1992, the game re- improves upon just about everything, made the early King's Quest titles enjoyable. The voice acting is fantastic. The animation is smoother than ever. And there's much more emphasis placed on player choice than in the earlier games. Uh, in total, there are more than a dozen different endings, making it one of the most replayable point-and-click games of the era. I'm a little bit worried about getting into Sierra stuff in the first place, because the thing is, we talked about adventure game bullshit in this one. This was a LucasArts game. These are kinder and gentler than Sierra games. These games don't have kill points. You never die in these games. You just have a place you respond from. You never can do something in a turn in the past that makes the game unwinnable in these games. He played a nice adventure game by these standards, and I'm a little scared <laughs> to get into the Sierra shit. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, number 14, The Neverhood. Uh, okay. The Neverhood was the... Uh, uh, with its stunning visuals and wonderful animation, The Neverhood was one of the most memorable point-and-click adventures games to come out in the 90s. It was the first game in which all of the animation was done using claymation and features some of the best and most humorous writing of the era. Um, some of the game's puzzles at times can be a little confusing. <laughs> I think, Finally. But they can typically be figured out with a little bit of trial and error. Uh, the story has one or two problems as well, although the Clayman himself is one of the most unique protagonists to ever grace video games, and his personality is just as charming as his appearance. Um, number 13 is Sanitarium, which is one that is on our list. Actually, I don't think all of these are on our list, but Sanitarium is one that sticks out to me. Um, with games like Clock Tower already having laid much of the groundwork for point-and-click horror games, Sanitarium was far from groundbreaking when it released in 1998. That's not to say it isn't still a great game. It's so good, in fact... That it tied in with Grim Fandango, or it tied with Grim Fandango to win Computer Gaming's World Best Adventure Game Award that year, and was nominated for many other prizes. Um, the game still looks great considering the era, and there are plenty of perplexing puzzles for players to solve. That was a hard fucking sentence to say. The alliteration, Holmes. <laughs> also, you just gave us that Grim Fandango, which I feel like that's a top five spoiler, right? Like that's got to be up. Oh there. yeah, spoilers. Grim Fandango is in the top five. Um, yeah, so basically, it's just like. Uh, Max's wavering sanity serves as the perfect vehicle to which to explore the wonderfully crafted stages and is ultimately what makes the experience so terrifying at times. This this is something I'm more interested to in. Like I said, I didn't think this game gave us enough outside of the adventure game zone. Like a horror game actually does sound like that would give me the extra juice I want to make the genre work. Yeah, we have a few, uh, I think Soma and Amnesia, Dark Descent are both considered point and click or like maybe not point and click, but they're like little adventure ditties. You know what I mean? And those games, Amnesia okay. of the Dark Descent is supposedly the scariest game ever made. All right, so nice. that'll be interesting to get to. Well, let's let's get yeah. back to the uh, list, number twelve, we? the longest journey. Okay, you've mentioned. I this mentioned this on the Patreon. If you donate to patreon.com slash the ah, podcast, yes. just one dollar, you'll hear our uh, Patreon chat before each episode. Wink. Uh, the longest journey is one of the last point and click adventure games to come out of the twentieth century, and it really shows the in the game's advanced visuals. And uh, thanks to some talented modders, there are several HD pack textures, texture packs, try that again, available in which to help bring the game closer to modern day standards. Uh, visual fidelity is just one of the many things that this game has going for it, though. The story is surprisingly complex for a point and click game and remains incredibly compelling throughout. Uh, the main protagonist is just as impressive and the puzzles she's faced are challenging yet fair. So, okay, yet fair is important. No I was about to say, yeah, that's a big, that's a big thing is fairness in these puzzles. Yeah. Uh, several spinoff titles have been released in the years since, although fans are still waiting for news about the direct sequel that was announced in 2013. 
Never. Never had it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Number 11, The Beast Within, A Gabriel Knight Mystery. Oh, Gabriel Knight. Okay. I didn't... I almost made a reference to Gabriel Knight because this series has one of the most famously bad puzzles in the history of video really? games. Enlighten me before we go on. The the cat hair mustache puzzle. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm going to tell y'all what it is. Y'all listeners, just Google cat hair mustache puzzle. This comes from the game Gabriel Knight 3, and it is synonymous with why the adventure game genre died. I am a little concerned what cat hair mustache will get you in a Google search, but good luck, listener. <laughs> cat hair mustache. Yes, yeah, first thing that comes up when you search that. All right, I'll check that out after the episode, though, because uh, that could be a whole rabbit hole, I'm sure. Um, so the I think Beast Within was the first Gabriel Knight. It might be the second one. Um, plenty of developers tried to incorporate incorporate FMV elements into their games during the 90s. Uh, see uh, Tadpog on Twitch VOD for Phantasmagoria. Phantasmagoria. That was... Yeah, that shit was good. I really enjoyed Tadpog's Phantasmagoria. Uh, the implementation of the technology in the studio's 1995 title, The Beast Within a Gabriel Knight Mystery, was groundbreaking for the era and stands as a testament to the skill of those working for the company at the time. The game takes place around one year from the events of the first Gabriel Knight title. Oh, well, there you go. It's the second one. And once again, places the players in the shoes of the Belmont-like author. This time, however, players also take control of grace for certain sections of the game, and there are some noticeable improvements to the way players interact with objects and items around them. Uh, The story is strong, and the overall experience is one not to be missed. Number 10. This game was bought for me by my buddy Dalton. Uh, Yeah, I know. I know, right? There's more than one Dalton in the world. It's fucking wild. That's illegal. But it's uh, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Okay, I've actually heard good things about that. I think this one's under yep. LucasArts joint, LucasArts right? being a subsidiary of Lucasfilm gave the team access to some of the best movie licenses of all time. What's more, unlike many of the other licensed titles being made in that era, LucasArts games based the movie on LucasArts games based on movies were actually good. <laughs> really good. Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis serves as a perfect example of the right way to adapt a movie franchise into a video game. Every element of the game is lovingly crafted with the great attention to detail and being paid to ensure the excellence in every area. The game's original story feels like genuinely a part of the indie universe, and the excellent writing perfectly captures the title character's wit and wisdom. I saw this on another list, All right. and it said that this game's story is worth a thousand crystal skulls. <laughs> so. I don't know how much that, uh, <laughs> how much is that in Zimbabwe dollars, you know? <laughs> Number nine, Loom. Okay, I've heard good things about At first glance, too. it might not be obvious that Loom is a LucasArts game due to the drastic differences in tone and gameplay when compared to their other titles. In many ways, it feels like, more like a creator experimenting with a range of conflicting ideas than it does a genuine attempt at making a video game. These elements come together, though, surprisingly well, and form an enjoyable and unique experience that's unlike any other from the era. With a deep narrative and some unusual gameplay mechanics, Loom is the title that will definitely be worth the price of admission. Fans of the Zelda franchise in particular would do well to check it out. Okay. I'm looking forward to hearing about Loom 2 or <laughs> Loom 64. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> I make the Doom jokes on this podcast. Loom 3. They went a different di- remembers Loom 3. They went a different direction with Loom 3, but. Loom BFG edition brought it back in. <laughs> Number eight, Full Throttle. 
Number seven. You don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, 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 yep. We'll, we'll keep on going. We can- Number seven. Uh, Sam and Max hit the road. Uh, All right. Max- okay. This, this is this is one I'm actually legit very interested. Sam and Max hit the road was one of the first video games to feature fully voiced protagonists, and the Lucas Arts team spared no expense when it came to hiring talent. The decision to splash out on professional voice actors really paid off as well with many critics singling out the voice acting as one of the game's biggest strengths. And I think that goes back to Nate. You were talking about that, like getting real voice actors makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Although it's definitely one of the strong points of full power. The sequels may hold up a little better due to the large time gap between their release and the original. They don't quite have the same charm of hit the road. It's, I really want to get to the episodic Sam and Max games. I don't think they're going to be on the list, but I really want to do Sam and Max episodes. That's going to be awesome. Bro, I mean, anything can be added to the list, so yep. for sure. I mean, this top ten. Oh, oh, oh. Um, number six, Day of the Tentacle. Okay. Yep. This is basically the follow-up to Maniac Mansion, I believe. Tim Schafer is often credited as being one of the one responsible for popularizing video game crowdfunding, but it could be argued that he's also the one responsible for the recent revival of point-and-click adventure games. He's worked on some of the best titles the genre has to offer, but his first lead role came on 1993's Day of the Tentacle. The game tells the story of three friends trying to save the world from an evil sentient tentacle. That might sound bizarre, and in truth, much of the game could be described that way. But the result is a charming game that's beautifully animated and equally pleasing on the ears. Might be short, but it's incredibly sweet. All right, gentlemen, we're breaking the top five. (laughs) Top five. Number five. Missed. It would take brothers Rand and Robin Miller two years to turn their idea of an adult-oriented adventure game into a reality, which was an impressive feat considering the scale and the ambition of the project. There were no half measures taken either, with the end result proving to be a hit with both players and critics. Mist would go on to become the best-selling PC game of the era and would hold that title until 2002 when it was finally overtaken by The Sims. Uh, it was one hell of a one, which is quite fitting because simply put, Mist is one hell of a game. The visuals aren't as impressive as they once were, but the gameplay and story remain as enjoyable as ever. I'm not looking forward to us doing Mist. Like, I ser- I have very, very negative opinions about it. I think Mist is the game that destroyed computer games for about seven years. Really? I think I think Mist and Final Fantasy VII were the games that ruined video games the most. <laughs> That's going to get me some angry letters. Let me just say, I think, I think Metal Gear Solid also hurt. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ, Willie. I, I, I'm just, okay, hold on. Metal Gear Solid did the correct step of saying we should make our games into art by emulating art. They made the mistake of making them go, okay, so to make a video game art, we have to make it just like a movie. No, yeah, I'll give you that. And as as it went on, Metal Gear, there in Metal Gear 4, I think it was, there's a cutscene that's like 46 minutes long. Jeez. <laughs> I remember we went out we went out and smoked a blunt and came back inside and that motherfucker was still playing. I, I think <laughs> All three of the games that I just blamed for destroying video games forever are all very good and valid games. I'm just not looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. I I understand that. Um, Number four, Beneath a Steel Sky. That's such a cool Uh, title. I love that title. Like many titles from this era, Beneath a Steel Sky is starting to show its age in the graphical department, but that takes nothing away from its fantastic story and wonderful voice acting. Nor does it make the slapstick comedy moments found throughout the game any less funny. If anything, it emphasizes their brilliance. Uh, the remastered edition released in 2009 helps to paper over some of the cracks and released recently released sequel provides a great reason to go back and check out this fantastic game. Number three, Grim Fandango. Yeah. Okay. That, that, wow. Okay. Grim, 
You know what? I'm not going to try to guess the top two. Let's just keep on. <laughs> Grim Fandango is probably the most well-known point-and-click classic of the 90s, and for good reason. Yeah. Manny's Adventure Through the Land of the Dead and our, our heavenly – shit, let me try that again. Manny's Adventure Through the Lands of the Dead are heavily inspired by a number of real-world influences, and these influences make for an experience that feels truly genuine. Well, as genuine as a story about skeleton people can be anyway. Uh, by the time of its release, Tim Schafer had mastered the art of storytelling and his understanding of the genre – and its audience allowed him to create the perfect point-and-click title. It's one of the highest-rated point-and-click games ever made and will surprise a lot of players with the depth of it. So I call this the perfect point-and-click title, but it's Right, that's what I was just thinking. Uh, yeah. Number two. And this one has an infamous puzzle, too. Wait, we, we don't have Maniac Mansion yet, do we? So Maniac Mansion's number one. Okay, you think Maniac Mansion's number one? Okay, we'll, okay, we'll get there. Number two. Broken Sword, The Shadow of the Templars. Okay, this one also does have another infamous puzzle. This the is fucking the goat, goat. puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, that Revolution Software was able to raise nearly $1 million through crowdfunding for Broken Sword 5. Just goes to show how much love there is for its franchise. There might seem like a rather modest amount when, com- or when compared to some of the other games that have found success through crowdfunding. But considering the age of the series and the state of the genre, it's an impressive feat. Shadows of the Templar was the title that started it all, and to many... It is the series' best entry. George Stobart's adventure in Europe makes for an engaging story that is seasoned with just the right amount of humor. It's smart, funny, and the perfect starting point for anybody interested in exploring the point-and-click genre. Now, if... So, on HumbleBundle.com, they have this thing called the Humble Trove, where if you do their monthly subscription thing, you get access to the the, the Humble Bundle Trove. And it's all of these games that you can download, and if you unsubscribe you get to keep those games. Like you can just have them, right? All of the broken sword games are under that. So I have all the broken sword games that I got from like years ago from the humble bundle trove. They may not still be there, but as last time I checked, they were all there and that's where I got them. So number one, you think it's maniac mansion. Okay. If it's not maniac mansion, it's a uh, return to Zork. Okay. Nate, I know you no don't guess. have any guesses. I have no familiarity <laughs> with this genre, man. Phantasmagoria. <laughs> oh, oh shit! I didn't even think about horror game. Oh, hold on. What if the? What if it? No, you're no, thinking too. It's Dark Seed. It's Dark you're Seed. Too, too deep into it. Think about really popular point and click games. Hugo's House. No, that doesn't count as a point and click. Mm. Okay, number one, The Secret of Monkey Island Two. Uh, fuck, I, <laughs> monkey. Monkey Island literally hadn't come up yet. I did not see uh, that. Yeah, okay, Monkey yeah. Island series is arguably LucasArts crowning achievement. And its second entry is yeah. the pick of the bunch. Uh, the game once again puts players in the shoes of wannabe pirate Guybrush Threepwood. Guy Le- yeah. Guybrush Threepwood. I, I do want to get to these games. These are going to be fun. I think I think all of us are actually going to enjoy these. Um, it provides an experience that is charming as it is challenging. The series remains hugely popular even to this day, with many fans still hoping that a new entry in the series will someday arrive. While the story and puzzles are certainly enjoyable, it's the series' wicked sense of humor that really sets it apart. The graphics might look a little dated by modern standards, but the writing is still just as on point today as it was when it came out in 1991. Those who haven't played Monkey Island 2 owe themselves to check it out. This treasure's buried beneath those dated visual. Uh, there are treasures buried beneath those dated visuals. How appropriate! You fight like a cow. Now, um, right outside the top fifteen, uh, they don't have any of these. Things. These are just strictly my my interpretations. Um, Siberia should be somewhere up there. 
um maniac mansion should absolutely be in there um and there's some like newer point and click games that i've heard good things about like uh thimbleweed park i think is one of them that i've heard really good Mm. things so i don't know man there's there's a lot of point and click games that i look toward i look forward to playing eventually um zork uh one of the zork games too i don't remember which one it was uh zork noir or was it discord no that's discord noir uh zork inquisition i don't know it was something but it looked interesting as well and when you said zork that's immediately what popped in my head I think uh, Return to Zork and Zork Grand Inquisitioner were the two traffic. Grand Inquisitioner, that's what it was. Thank you, sir. And gentlemen, I think that about wraps up our full throttle episode. So let's get to some house cleaning. Uh, Nate, if you want to go ahead and plug your stuff, good sir, and then I'll get to all the show nonsense. Yep, yep, yep. You can find me on Twitter, Twitch, and TikTok at TurtleBearMan. Catch me with my retro game nonsense, speed runs, and casual plays. I have a plug. Uh, I've actually been working on something. I know I've been a little sick, so I haven't been able to update it every day. But I've been doing a uh, blog where I've been uh, experimenting, learning to compose MIDI music recently. And I have a uh, website for you. If you go to icebrandstudios.blogspot.com, you'll see the first at least 14 entries. Um, I've been updating them. The days that I've given on are actually false. They're just the days I put them up are not the day that I actually sign them in but uh I've, I've put the first 14 up i'll finish the entire blog out by the end of the month so you know uh if you want to hear some uh, fresh new music by someone who's just learning to compose in a you know new style um, give it a shot icebreadstudios.blogspot.com all right and if you like the show and you would like to help support us you can go over to patreon.com slash the steam machine podcast just one dollar a month will get you uh, access to the episodes a day early or really however early it's whenever we record them i immediately put it up on patreon um and you get access to all of our stuff in the beginning of the episodes that we talk about uh that doesn't quite make it to air sometimes it's just video game related sometimes it's stories it's you know it's it just kind of depends but um a special shout out to these wonderful individuals who donate uh, $10 or more. Uh, we got Nate Sir Cogsworth, the 7th of Juniper, Jeff, the original expendable Jeffy Lube and Arisa Adam shout out to his podcast revival and extinction. Uh, he just did his first thoughts on Shin Megami Tensai five. It was a good episode. It was a good episode. And thank you to all patrons, even those that are not at the $10 level. We appreciate your support, no matter how much. And if you're hearing this episode early, thank you so much for caring enough to listen to us early. And thank you for wanting us to continue existing. That means a lot to me in a way that's hard for me to explain. Yes, it's hard for me to explain as well. (laughs) I was going to say explain and express, and I kind of said explain. It's okay. We we can just English it up here at the end. It's fine. (laughs) No, I wasn't being racism, I promise. Oh, God. we so One of us always manages to slip and say something like that on accident, and then it's just like, oh, well, there we go. This episode's racist. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, man. This, this episode is illegal to listen to in the entire country of Italy. Fuck you, Italy. Kaboom. Well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thank, thank you, Italy. You guys made some we haven't mentioned, food. We haven't oh, mentioned Winnie the Pooh, so we're good in China. Oh, damn it. Got him. Got him. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, yeah, shout out to all of our Patreons. Uh, Willie took the words out of my mouth. We appreciate all of you guys. Um, if you want to come join our Discord, which I highly suggest because I am way more active as far as posting the show and stuff on Discord than I am on uh, 
on social media and these guys are also i think way more active in discord than they are on social media as well um you can go over to bit.ly slash tsmp discord and that's all caps and uh you come in and join uh talk with us about some video games man make your vote be heard vote on the games that come up for the uh the polls for each each show we uh we would really appreciate that uh if you think you we should have liked full throttle more or less come there and yell at us yeah. about it <laughs> uh, we aren't going to change our opinions but we'll listen to do you, you want to send us an email like do you want to comment on an episode that you've heard about even if it's an older episode uh send us an email at the steam machine podcast at gmail.com and we'll get that and read it out. I know uh, Adam did not get a chance to finish Full Throttle, but he wanted to write in about it. But he said he, he will have some words for us about Baldur's Gate. So we should yeah. have an email. Uh, the first email section next, next week. <laughs> I'm excited for that. This is something I've wanted to do for a little bit. And then uh, let's see. What else do I have on here? Oh, yes. If you want a sweet Steam Machine Podcast shirt, you should go to tsmpproductions.threadless.com. Get you a dope shirt. Uh, you can also get some of my album covers. Um from my you know my music as Nile the Nightmare, which you can find over at nilethenightmare.bandcamp.com. If you like our intro song and our outro song, uh, the intro song is the original. The outro is the remix. I made those, and you can find those and a bunch of other music that I've made on Bandcamp. Other than that, if you want a solid section where you can find all of this shit that I just said to you, and it's just a bunch of buttons that you can click instead of typing a bunch of shit in, then you only have to type in bit.ly slash the Steam Machine Podcast and just capitalize the first letter of each of that like you would, you know, a normal name. And that will take you to our website. And it's got links to all kinds of shit. It's got links to all of our Twitches. It's got links to Bandcamp. It's got links to Threadless, I think. I haven't checked that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's got it's got all kinds of links you can click. There's a link that'll take you straight to the Discord. Come join, talk to us about video games. The more people, the merrier. Uh, I'm always looking to hear people's experiences in the video game world and how they've affected them, you know, stuff like that. And I think that about does it, man. Uh, if I have a recommendation this week, go check out outside Xbox. They're funny. They're a good, a good group of people on uh, YouTube there. They did a stream of phasmophobia that I watched the other day. That was quite hilarious. So are we just shouting out people we think are cool and funny? I would suggest listening to Australian musical comedian Tom Cardi. I think he's very funny. Nate, you got anything? Yeah, follow me on twitch.tv slash turtlebearman to watch a really cool retro video game player. Boom, there you go. Uh, much like us, we he also recommended a total joke. Hey. Uh, and then my, my only other recommendation is... Uh, the podcast Factory Sealed, shout out Factory Sealed, uh, retro video game podcast. Yeah. They also did an episode on Full Throttle. And uh, if you want to go check that out after this one, it's a good, it's entertaining. Um, they delved a little more deep into the story of the game, I think, or like, you know, like beat by beat. But what was interesting when I was listening to it last night is that Dan from that show also thought this game was, in his words, shite. So, you know. Smart guy, <laughs> smart guy. <laughs> yeah. It's a good listen, so definitely shout out Factory Steel. And while I'm at it, shout out Tad Blog, Tyler, and Dave Play Old Games. Those guys rock. All of those guys rock. Uh, and you know what, listeners? You fucking rock. Hell yeah. You fucking Fuck rock. Fuck yeah. Thank you for being here. And I think that about does it for this week's episode of the Steam Machine Podcast. So uh, for the Brothers of Destruction, Nate and Willie, I'm Dalton, and uh, I'm not putting my mouth on that.